This is the Sunday after Thanksgiving and the last Sunday before Advent, which means that it is the last Sunday, the very last Sunday of our church's calendar. It is the day we celebrate Christ our King. Celebrating Christ the King is joyful and glorious, just like our song, we clap, we sing, we praise. It's in response to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who reigns with God, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And just when we thought we had finished our series on prayer in the fall, here comes another prayer from Ephesians by Paul, and it serves today as a huge amen. From the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, we will begin with verse number 15. Hear the word of God. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under Jesus' feet and has made Jesus the head over all the things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanksgiving and power and glory and spirit and wisdom and revelation and enlightenment and inheritance, glory, power, rule, authority, power, and dominion. My heavens, that's a lot for one, one pericope of scripture. Jesus comes to us out of God's glory. The glory comes to us with purpose. The purpose is unfathomable and majesty has been given. It is incandescent and it is given for all of us, all intended for the salvation of humankind. The revelation of Jesus the Christ, Christ the King, the very glory of God sent for your salvation and for mine. At the heart of this extravagance, at the heart of Christ's radiance, comes a Lord 
who lavishes upon us hope. With the eyes of our hearts, we are told that we will know the hope to which he has called us, called to hope. And in a world gone mad, we dare to hope. You know, we downsize the word hope. We, um, we economize it. We rein it in. We put hope on sale. We say things like this, I hope you find what you're looking for. Or, I sure hope the grocery store still has those cranberries. <laughs> or, I hope Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey find a date night. And from this weekend's ad campaigns, straight from the newspaper, my friends, and online from Best Buy, joy and hope are in the air. From Macy's fine jewelry, hope for more silver and gold. And from Bass Pro Shops, because who doesn't love a sports store? Enjoy the magic and hope of Santa. We smash hope into little itty bitty tiny packages that makes hope miniature. A, a minuscule goal, hope is, a microscopic plan. But when we meet the God of the Ephesians, our hope becomes a holy expectation that with the eyes and hearts enlightened, we may know what is the hope to which God has called us. What are the riches of our Lord's glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of hope of his power for us who believe? Here is a first century church, a vulnerable church, being torn apart by disunity, gutted by politics, needing the guidance and wisdom of Paul, their pastor, who is in jail far, far away, but who is writing to them from a prison cell wanting to help them recover themselves, wanting them to know that he has not forgotten them, never will, and offers the gospel medicine that will help the wounds of their hopelessness. And Paul doesn't mince words, he never does. He goes straight for the good news. And Paul, you know, is never ever interested in offering good news for the someday or sooner or later or someday in the future. He prays quite specifically for the church, for the church here and now, to be lit up from within, here and now, praying that God gives them a spirit, gives us a spirit of wisdom, 
as we mature in faith, a sacred hope that binds us to the risen Christ. Jan Richardson, one of my favorite bloggers and artists and ministers, puts it this way. Paul makes clear that Christ is putting his power to work in us. And not just for some day, but for now. Even as Paul writes about the risen Christ being seated in heavenly places, he also bears witness to the Christ who wore our flesh, flesh and blood, incarnate, and abides in us. Our Christ hopes for us when our hope is shattered and hopes on behalf of us when our lives are in chaos, hoping in compassion for us when the world is gutted. That is Christ's hope. Not always comforting or comfortable, but a hope that asks us to imagine what is beyond our imagining and to bear what seems unbearable. Hope is a hard word these days. Hope gets a bad rap. Our world, our culture tells us that to hope in Christ is to be ignorant and unschooled that hope in Christ is for the juvenile, the immature, for people who can't keep a rational thought in their minds. And yet, through Christ, we may not fully understand hope, but we know it when we see it, and that it meets us where we are and does not leave us as it found us. When Isak Denison begins her novel, Out of Africa, she says this, her first line, I had a farm in Africa at the foot of the Nagan Hills. And the book she writes after she has returned to Denmark, when all her hope has gone, is a book filled to the brim of the gift of the people of Kenya. She has lost all hope. She can no longer stay in Kenya. She must sell every possession and prepare to leave for Mombasa and then for Denmark. For 20 years, she has loved Nairobi. And more than that, she has been transformed by its people. And her most beloved friend is Farah. He is also her interpreter. And she tells him this, you must have the people of the region and the people of the farm be ready to leave before the rains. 
Do you understand, Farah? Or they will lose everything. They will want to stay, but they must leave. It is for their safety, and Farah, you must make them understand. This land is far where you are going, he asks. It's far? Not too far, she lies, for she's going thousands of miles away. Well, how can it be then between you and me, Farah wants to know. Do you remember how it was on safari, she says? In the afternoons, I would send you ahead to go and look for a camp, and you would go and you would wait for us, and you would build a fire so that I would know where to find you. Well, this will be like that, only this time I go ahead and I wait for you. Is it far where you are going, he asks. Is it far? Yes, she says, it is far. Then you must make the fire very big, he says, so I can find you. You must make this fire as big as possible. You must make this fire very, very big so I can find you. When you have experienced God's hope, you understand that God has lit a fire so big that you will never be lost and can always be found. Jesus, Christ and King, will never let you go. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit and you belong to Christ Jesus forever and forever. We are not ignorant and juvenile. We are audacious and bold. We know God's hope is made of substance and not of tiny packages of wishes. It's a hope that knows how to sing when there is no cause to sing. It's a hope that prays when there is little potential for prayer. And it's a hope that raises us from the dead, not someday, not one day, but this day, every day. It's a hope for us again and again and again and again. <laughs>